How many of you, without a raise of hands, would say you're a child of God? Just think. Have you said thank you, Dad, this morning yet, that you are his child? How about right now? Lord, thank you that I'm your child. Thank you that you look on me with that level of love, forgiveness, and hope. Thank you, God, that we are your children. Amen? Okay. How are we doing, everybody? We all right? So I'm going to need your help this morning because Len Krakowski, who normally sits right here, is not here. And what does that mean? Amen. I'm going to need some amens because he usually leads that charge. So uh, let, me, let me talk just for a, another second about Easter. So Easter is a pretty important moment in time, right? Without Easter, there is no Christian, right? Because Christ rose from the dead giving us hope that God has power over sin and death, and we are good, right? So hope has been sucked out of a lot of people's lives the last couple of years, and they're looking around going, you know, I don't feel very good, and I need some hope and some joy in my life, and where am I going to look? Easter brings the message, the hope that they need. So just pray and think about who can you invite to join you for Easter, and bribe them with brunch if you want to, bribe them with a barbecue at your house, the beach, whatever, just whatever it takes. But just start asking people and mention it to it, mentioning it to them. We're going to have one big service at 10 a.m. and inside, outside, and online. And then Good Friday is happening, and we're going to do what we did last year. We're going to have Stations of the Cross set up outside, some big posters, um, some artwork that it's called Stations on the Street. Very experiential. There'll be music playing. It'll be uh, Friday from, uh, I think it's 3 to 6 p.m. That's another thing to invite people to. And we'll leave it set up Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So people can come from the neighborhood and just check it out and experience it. And it was, it was amazing last time. It was our first time doing that. The, the, I think it was the second couple that came through was part of the Adventist church. And they walked through, cried the whole time. I mean, it was that kind of an experience of just like meeting with the Lord in a deep experiential way. And, and some of us meet with the Lord better outdoors than indoors. Are you like me? So there's something about being out in this beautiful environment and just reflecting on what Jesus went through for us. And so invite some people to that. So, so let me take one step back. We talked about the spring and Easter festival that's coming up. So here's the reason why we're doing that to get people on the property to invite them back for Easter and Good Friday. So, so the whole, it's a, yes, it's a bait and switch. It's, yeah, shameless, right? But we want to get them here so they feel like, oh, I like those people. I, I could picture myself being part of a church like that. And then we say, would you like to come join us on Easter and be part of what God's doing here? And they'll say, yeah, I would. And so my dream is that there would be big wheels parked right outside those little plastic, you know, like, because then we're reaching the neighborhood, we're reaching families, we're reaching people that are around here. That, and I would love for you to just pray and say, Lord, who do you want me to invite to these things? And just use them as opportunities to reach people for the Lord. Amen? Amen? Amen. So today we are going to get into uh, God's Word, and I want to ask you this question. What is the role that God's Word plays in your life? So some of you are like, well, it kind of sits on the shelf over there. I can picture it. 
I, I met somebody yesterday who said they, they grew up and never had a Bible in their house. They were religious people who went to church. They never had a Bible in their house till the person was like 25. So what's the role that God's Word plays in your life? Is it a place you go for comfort or help? Is it like Google? When you're struggling, you're like, you look something up. You're like, let me go with the index, and I'm going to Google that, right? Or, or is it more like I need wisdom? Is it I feel guilty, I better go read it? Uh, is it an old pastime, something that you used to do and you're a little too busy right now? Or is it more like food, like water? Like how many of us could go four or five days without a drink of water? We would freak out, right? How, how many of us could go without air very long? So that is how God wants us to see his word. The question is, how far are we from that? How do we get to that place of saying, I need this, and it is sustaining me, it is carrying me, it is protecting me, it is instructing me, it is guiding me. How do we put God's word into its rightful place? That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Last week, we talked about the people of the city, the Israelites coming back to the city of Jerusalem, repopulating the city. So they came back to the city. They came back to worship. Today we're going to talk about how they came back to God's word from Nehemiah 8. And it's beautiful, powerful passage. So I'm going to ask you to stand up, please, as I read this. And uh, you all who are outside, please stand up also. As I read this, and if you're watching this online, please stand up as I read this. Nehemiah chapter 8. All the people, how many of the people? All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. This is fascinating because usually you'd have a gathering of men or a gathering of adults. This is everybody. So this is a unique moment in scripture where it's like anybody who could even get it, any four-year-old kid, any slave, any foreigner, anybody, come on, let's, let's hear God's word. Verse 3, he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. They turned off their phones for six hours at least and listened. Verse 4, Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. And then some others were with him. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. I wonder how long they stood up. It's interesting. Verse 6, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites and then it lists a few of them, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so the people could understand 
what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and teacher of the law, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. And this is why. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. So Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some of those Send some to those who have nothing prepared, because this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen? Amen. You can be seated. Now let's walk through this passage and notice a few really, really powerful pieces of it. The first thing is this. The people asked Ezra, Ezra didn't say, hey, let's have an assembly. The people went to him and said, Ezra, you're our guy. And we'll find out a little bit more about him. But they knew they were missing something. They knew that they didn't want to repeat the last hundred years in captivity. They knew that their disobedience of God had gotten them in a very bad place. And they'd been away from the temple and God's word and a regular, secure nation for a long time, they were hungry for God's word, and they knew it. They had an initiative to learn. They're like, we got to get back into it. And what a day for Ezra. So he was the priest, and, and sometimes scholars link the books of Ezra and Nehemiah together because they really tell the same story. Ezra had brought people back to the city of Jerusalem twice before Nehemiah did. And for 13 years, he'd been slugging it out in an unsafe city with a temple that was open to attack, trying to lead the people in worship and struggling in a city that was not yet inhabited. And now he got to read God's word to all the people. I will bet this guy was glowing. This was like an arrival for him. He's like, Finally, God, I get to see this thing. I would bet that God gave him dreams and hopes and visions of this day ever, you know, for years. And then finally, he's like, look it, it's happening. And look at Ezra 7.10. It talks a little bit about him. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. His whole life was about this. So I, I will bet he did a whole bunch of it from memory. He's not needing to like go like, he's just like speaking to the people from his heart and just connecting with them over God's word. So what did he read? It says that he read the law of God and that we would know is the Torah or the Pentateuch. Pentateuch means five, five books. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five in the Old Testament, penned by Moses and other people's stuff that Moses put together and so it's interesting, I did a little research about how long it would take to read that. He would have to go pretty fast to get it done in six hours, even in Hebrew. So we don't know if he read the whole thing or a good portion of it, but he had a good amount of time to work with. And, and I believe what he was doing was reminding the people of who they are. And, and it wasn't just, here are the laws you've broken, but it was your identity as the people of God. And now you're back in the city of God. And God has plans for you, not to harm you, but to prosper you and to give you a hope and a future. And here we go, right? 
And so he was reminding them of who they are before him because it was time for them to restart as a nation. Now that the city wall was built, now that they were repopulating, they're ready to go based on God's word and what he said about them. I feel like it's, it's how many of you have ever rebooted your computer after putting, putting a new operating system on it? I think they were going back to the original operating system of the nation, which is God's word, and saying we need to be founded on this, not following all the people groups around us and not be trying to pers- you know, become just like them. No, we're the people of God. We're different. He has called us to be a light in this place and, and to be a, a, a messenger of blessing to the planet. So let's get back on course. That's what they were doing. And, and the people were willing. They were humble. They were grateful. I love how that you see them initiating. You see them saying, amen. You see them bowing down. You see them worshiping God. You see them with broken hearts weeping. They're willing to say, bring it. Whatever it says, we want to do it, not just the good parts. They didn't say, hey, Ezra, could you read those good parts? You know, just, just read the blessings ones. No, don't read the cursing parts. Whatever it was, they're like, Ezra, bring it, and we want to be the people of God who follow him. So, so it made me think, sometimes we read God's word, but we don't like it when God's word reads us. Right? So, right? Amen? So sometimes we're, we're like, well, you know, it can't really mean that. Because I'm smart, and I know that God would never ask me to do something that hard. Right? Rather than saying, God, what do you have for me from your word? And I will do it before you tell me. So, how many of you have kids? Okay. Some of you didn't raise hands and you have kids. I wonder what that means. <laughs> anyway, so... so if, you're, if your child asks you for input and, and you give them your, your wisdom so graciously, right, and you give them your advice, and then they don't follow it, the next time they ask you for your wisdom, you might go, okay, here's my, here's my advice for you. You should do this. And then they don't do it again? You're going to stop. You're just going to be like, kid, you, you don't care what I think. That's what happened to the nation of Israel for generations. They didn't care what he thought. Now, they had a change of heart because they'd been through so much hard times and they said, Lord, whatever you say, we'll do it. And and they were willing and ready and humble and responsive to God's word. And, And I feel like sometimes we think we're so smart and we feel like we can do it alone. You know, I got this. We don't got this. If we try to survive without God's word uh, powerfully active in our lives, we fail. And, and it's crazy how we keep trying. And I think it's our human nature to go like, well, I got this. Like when you were three years old, you can't tie your shoes. And your mom tries to help you and you're like, I got this. And she's like, no, you don't. But it's our human nature to go, I, right, I'm smart enough, I can do this. And the Lord knows better and he's patient and, and he continues listening to our junk and continues putting his word in front of us until we finally pay attention and listen. What if God was sending you texts every single day and you weren't replying? Well, that'd be rude, right? Wouldn't that be, I mean, wouldn't he strike you with lightning? But don't we kind of live like that? 
He's given us what we need to live a righteous life and a fruitful life, and we kind of set it on the shelf and ignore it. Or we read it and we say, well, it couldn't possibly mean that. Or, right, we, we're in judgment over this rather than this being in judgment over us. That's got to switch. And, and I hope that the last couple years have just kind of taken our, our brains and our schedules and our lives and gone, right? So we go like, what was that? And now we can have a reboot. We can say, okay, let, let's, let's live differently. Let's live more intentionally. Let's live the lives that, that God's word says that we can live. Um, I, I went through a season in, in my life where I got pretty distracted pretty busy. I was doing God's work, but I was too busy in my mind to spend time listening to God through his word every day. And I was like, oh, it's, it's all right. I'm preparing to speak. You know, it's all right. I have enough of it in here that I can just, share, you know, I can just wax eloquent when I'm with someone at Starbucks. No sweat. I forgot that God's word is not in, in encyclopedia. It's much more like love letters and it's much more like wisdom for everyday life that we need, including and especially pastors. And, and, it, and I feel like the, the Lord just gently got my attention a few days because I got in over my head a few times because I was, I'd wandered away from him and his word. And I didn't have it firmly planted in here every day as much as I can possibly get in. And so I made a shift. Uh, I don't remember how many years, but a few years back, to sit in the backyard in the morning when it's warm and inside when it's not warm. And usually I'll put bird seed in the bird feeder and I'll just hang out and listen to the birds singing and read God's word. And I'm like, this is our time. And I try to do that every single morning. And it has been a game changer. And I'm not a morning person, right? <laughs> so some of you are like, yeah, but I'm not a morning person. Who cares? Like, if you can pull it off at night, and it can give you life and inspiration and wisdom for the next day, more power to you. Most people can't. I'm just, I'm just saying. There's something about the morning. Or if you're like, man, i got to work at 5 a.m. Okay, then your first break. Go sit in a park with God's Word and go hang out and spend time with Him. Yeah, but I commute to Long Beach, you know, twice a day. Okay, then put God's Word on, on your, in your car so you can listen to it. We come up with all kinds of excuses for not doing the thing that God invites us to do, that he, he loves us through his word. He shapes us through his word. And we're like, yeah, but we've got to get the butts out, right? The people of God, we need, we need to be like, like these guys um, 2,500 years ago and get our act straight and say, Lord, shape us through your word. We want to be the people of God the way you've intended us to be. Now, Len would say amen right there. Okay. So, <laughs> so Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I love that verse. Uh, in fact, if you want to be inspired about God's word, read all of Psalm 119. Just go for it. It'll take you like 10 minutes. But wow, so many times he says, here's what your word means to me. Here's what your word means to me. I, I value it more than anything. And it's, it's about as practical as you can get. So if his word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, then I'm walking in darkness if I don't have it. Right? 
I mean, isn't that what it says? And so sometimes we stumble and we're like, well, how did I stumble? I didn't see that in my path. It's because you don't have the light on. Like, really? It's not that hard. But I've lived there where I've stumbled around and been like, well, how did I stumble? Duh, I didn't have the light on. Let's turn the light on. So it says they gathered in front of the water gate to drink from God's word. 50,000 people or so. That's quite a crowd to speak to. And, and it, all those who could listen or understand. And it says that they praised the Lord. This was not boring. God's word is not supposed to be boring. I think it's us that make it boring. And maybe we make it boring on purpose so we don't have to do it. And, but it's interesting. Um, it's supposed to be and is awe-inspiring and life-giving. It's supposed to bring light and life and hope and purpose and, and direction. But sometimes we get busy and distracted and it doesn't have its rightful place. So I'm hoping that when we, myself included, walk out of here today, that I'll say, Lord, help me to be more excited about your word. Because if it's really texts from the Lord, I should be pretty excited about that. Because he cares about me enough to send me texts. That's cool. So you know what they did? Ezra's speaking. The people are gathered, 50,000 of them around there. And then the Levites go in their little small groups, and it literally says they translated it for the people. Now, some scholars have said, now wait, is it they didn't know their Hebrew very well and they're branching into Aramaic? Is it that they were so out of touch with God's word that the Levites had to say, here's what, he's mean, here's what that means. Here's how that ties it. It was like they're cross-referencing. It could also be when it says all those who can understand, maybe it's little kids, Maybe it's all ages, all you know, a very diverse crowd. So the Levites like, here's what that means to you. And he, but I think it's interesting that they broke into small groups. What a cool idea! I would like to do that right now. So I, no kidding, I would like to break you. <laughs> I would like you to break into groups of six or seven. And here is your assignment: you're going to stand up, get in a group of six or seven, and two, maybe three. But at least two of you are going to say, here's what God's word has meant to me the last two years. Here's what God's word has meant to me the last two years, okay? And don't go too long because then somebody else can't share, right? Okay, do you got the assignment? Groups of six or seven, two at least of you are going to share, here's what God's word has meant to me the last two years. Okay, ready, set, Go.
All right, one minute. All right, let's wrap it up, everybody. Unless you all want to go six hours like, like Ezra did, that'd be all right, right? All right, come on back. So I hope, I hope you realized you can learn a lot from each other. There's a lot of depth in this room. Um, so how did the people reply after they heard uh, Ezra speaking God's word? Do you remember what, what they did? They wept. And we might say, well, why? It seems like, you know, what's really going on? I think there were a few things happening. I think one, one is that some of them had not heard God's word in a long time. Some of them maybe never before in context, the whole thing like that. But I think the more, uh, the more, uh, the larger group of them just felt the conviction of God come over them that they have not been following him. They did not know his rules, his regulations. They didn't know what their faith was supposed to be all about as related on them. And they went, whoa, man, I've been pretty far off. And so God broke their hearts and they wept. Um, and for, for most, I, th I think that it was a conviction of sin, but maybe also of what their sin had cost them. Because I think that would sink in, like, oh, that explains why we've been going through all this. But notice, Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites told them to stop their weeping. And then they said, why? Because God wanted them to celebrate their new start. He didn't want them to focus on their brokenness and on their pain and on the, the last 70 years. He wanted them to focus on where they were right now. Some of you guys need to hear that in this room. God doesn't want you to be stuck in your brokenness. He doesn't point a finger in your face and go, oh, look at you, you screw up. That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's the voice of the enemy. The Holy Spirit says, come on, you got this. We can do this together. Let's, let's walk into that new way that I've got for you. So here's a question. Do you get bummed when you read the Bible? <laughs> do, do you get sad? Do you read it and you're just like, oh, right? <laughs> and should we get sad if the good news is so good? Why do we get sad when we read it? And I think here, here's, here's the reason, because conviction is real, right? Conviction is part of the equation. But here's the thing. Conviction is the starting gate. It's not the finish line. Conviction is where it begins. So the people were weeping and saying, oh, wow, God, we have let you down. We, who have we been? And, and, and then God, through his leaders, said, okay, let's move past that because you're going to be the people of God. You're going to be the people God's created you to be. You don't got to be stuck in who you used to be and, and waiting around in all that sin. And here, here's another thing. John and I were talking about this passage earlier in the week. 
Just being sad doesn't fix anything, right? Uh, and and there's a, a verse that says, um, earthly sadness brings death, but God, godly sorrow brings repentance. And, and so there's something about, if you just mope because you're a sinner, that's not what the book talks about. But if you are heartbroken and you say, Lord, I don't want to be like that anymore, fix me so I can walk with you. I don't want to be like this anymore. You don't have to stay sad. You can leave that back there, right? It's not about walking through life sad as a Christian because God's desire for us is not to make us sad. God's desire for us is to, for us to be sober-minded and look at our lives and go, whoa, what did I do, right? But not to stay there. To come out of the pit and go, come on, let's, let's get on with life. Uh, somebody once said success is getting up one more time than you fall down. That's not bad, right? And God's desire is to give you freedom and joy and peace and real life in the Holy Spirit, not to bum you out and hold you down. Um, and Jesus came, John three seventeen, to save us, not condemn us. Right? You all know John three sixteen, the very next verse says God did not send a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That is hopeful and joyful. And, and look at John 10.10. 10. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he comes that we could have, Jesus comes that we have life, real life, abundant life, full life. So, so th- there's something about Christians that are sourpusses that, that I think is what the enemy has wanted to plant in churches, and, and so that nobody wants to join our team. And, and we don't need to be sad, somber, awful people. In fact, I, I love how, um, uh, how many of you watch The Chosen? I like how you have a joy-filled Jesus that walks around and he does hard stuff and he teaches heavy things, but you also want to be around him. We need to be more like that as the people of God, where people actually seek us out because we have a joy and a peace in us that they can see and feel. And and it's not that we're walking around convicted by our sin and so sad all the time. That's not where we're supposed to stay. That's the beginning of the story. That's not the end of the story. Amen. Amen. So um, remember that last verse that we read in, in Nehemiah 8. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. If the joy of the Lord is my strength, then that means I'm weak if I'm not living in the joy. Right? Ooh, that kind of hits home. So wait a minute. So I don't feel very strong in my Christian life. Maybe I'm missing joy. Maybe I'm missing this wow that Jesus has saved me and launched me into a new existence and a new life with him through his spirit, and I don't have to have a pity party all the time. And I can have strength based on that truth rather than weakness and, and uh, meandering in depression. That's interesting. So God's design for us as Christians is not to be sour people, but to be joy-filled people who have strength in that. So, um, so this gets real, though. That's hard to live out sometimes. And let me give you a dramatic example um, I had a conversation this last week with Thor. No, not the guy from, from Avengers. 
Thor is my daughter's kickboxing coach, okay? You thought I had a conversation with the god of thunder. No. <laughs> anyway, so Thor and I were talking about David because Thor is getting into the Bible. He said, this is my year to follow Christ and, and you know, be, be all about him. So he's reading through the Old Testament, and he comes to David, and he really likes David. Like, David's awesome. And then, oh, what did he do? Right? The whole Bathsheba thing just like took him totally like, wait a minute. Right? And so this is a big detour in David's life where he, you know, sleeps with someone else's wife and has the guy killed and then like gets called out by the prophet and then is on his knees before God going, what happened? Right? And then we have Psalm 51 where he says, God, will you please have me back? And there's a beautiful verse in Psalm 51 that says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Because sometimes sin in our lives destroys the joy. Rips it down, tears the walls down, throws it away. And then we have to come back to the Lord and say, but wait, you still created me to have joy even though I did that. And then the, and then the prayer is, Lord, would you restore what once was? Would you rebuild that wall of joy? Would you rebuild that, uh, that beauty within me through your spirit that's been torn down by the enemy? And God restored David. Now, interesting, he still had heck to pay, right? He still went through it because there were all kinds of ramifications for his actions. But he was called a man after God's own heart even after he did that because he said, Lord, restore me and restore my joy. So do you need your joy restored? Has life squeezed it out of you? And just be real. I thought someone would say, oh yeah, right there. But, but it's interesting that Psalm 51, 12, it says, and grant me a willing spirit that will sustain me. So these things are linked. Lord, restore my joy and help my spirit to be willing to follow you. And, and let it continue to be restored. And let me not wander off the path again. And, and please keep me with you joyful. Willing to keep pursuing him. Right? That's what it says. So we have to ask God if we need our joy restored and ask him to change our hearts and make us more willing. Nehemiah 8.12 Then all the people went away to eat and drink. And they sent portions of food... Um, to those who didn't have it, and they celebrated with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. They found great hope in God and in his word. And it reminds me of Isaiah 40, and I want to I give you this. Um, I want to ask the band to come up. I want to read this, this verse over you and for you, and I hope that you'll... Uh, remember it this week if you start feeling a little down, if you start feeling like, eh, where's that joy? Isaiah 40, 31 says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And for me, I need to claim verses like that and say, Lord, help me to soar above the junk, even my own junk. Help me, Lord, to pursue joy in you so that I have joy to share with others. 
Help me to not be a sourpuss Christian that, that is so stereotypical in some ways in our culture. But help me, Lord, to show the joy of you, Lord, is my strength. I, I feel like we're in a time of rebuilding as a culture. I feel like we're in a time of rebuilding as a church. And I believe that one of those foundations in us has to be joy. It's, it's, like, it's like shoes that we got to wear. It's a, it's a way of looking at the world. It's, it's a way of, of bringing things back to God and saying, help this make sense and help me to find joy in the middle of this. And then others will watch us and our response. And, and they won't think it's fake. They won't say, well, you always have a smile on your face. But we'll be able to just say, he gives me peace and he gives me joy in the middle of the stuff. And wouldn't you want that? Right? So, so what does the Lord want from you right now as we've been talking? And let me put a better word in there. What does the Lord want for you as we've been talking? Sometimes we feel like God requires this and he requires this. I think a better way of looking at it, our Heavenly Father is all these invitations that he has for us and says, come on, I've got this for you. I want this in your life. I want to do this through your life. I want to put this into your life. I want you to walk around with my joy and my peace and my spirit. Why would you not want that? But two things come to mind for me. One, some of us in this room need our joy restored. Some of us need our time in God's word restored. So grab onto one of those things and say, what is it? Lord, give me more of your joy. Or Lord, give me the discipline to be with you and to read your texts every day and not to let, let that fall away because it's way too important. Amen? So I want to ask um, a couple people to stick around and, and be up here to pray with you. Um, Leslie, do you want to pray today with somebody? Julie and Rick, you want to pray with somebody? So they'll be up here um, right at the end of the service after this song if you want to just come up and pray with somebody. And if God's speaking to you and you're like, I feel convicted about this, but I'm not really sure how I'm going to actually do it, talk with somebody and pray with them so you have somebody else believing in that, uh, that step the Lord wants you to take with you. Right on? So how about if we stand up and we're going to sing this last worship song together?